Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. Welcome you to Bite Into It, where we talk technology, computing, the internet, uh, all of the stuff that's uh, helping uh, keep things kind of warm and fuzzy uh, in a tough time uh, out there in the world. Um, tonight uh, on the show, uh, I am across the panel, uh, a good safe distance from Dan Morganti. Dan, how are you tonight? Yeah, very well. It's good to uh, get out of the house after even just a few days of isolation. Uh, it is. Um, what's been What's been the highlight for you? What's good about a bit more time indoors, do you reckon? Um, I'm doing a bit more writing, uh, writing a few different things. Um, I start, I put a um, few ideas forward for the hard drive news. It's like satire news mm. um, for video games uh, and obviously playing a lot of video games as well. So knocking a few of those off. We might uh, come to that a little bit later on. Mm. Um, I'm Warren Davies. I'll be with you also. Uh, looking forward to it. Um, tonight on the show... We'll be taking a look at the future of uh, food technologies and uh, agriculture in particular, or uh, I guess ag tech, uh, as it uh, has become known. Um, I saw a little bit of this stuff um, last year, um, uh, late last year down in Geelong. It was really interesting. Um, There's a few people talking about it and um, wanted to hear some more. So uh, CEO of uh, Cicada Innovations will be joining us uh, in a little bit to talk about uh, ag tech. Uh, we'll also be chatting through uh, latest games and ways to, um, I guess, enjoy uh, some time uh, at home um, or uh, sort of um, uh, at, a, at a distance from others. So um, looking forward to talking about that. Uh, I've been playing a few and uh, Dan has, um, as always, which is great. But um, we do have some news before then. Um, Dan, uh what else have we been hitting aside from the games? Uh, a lot of online videos and a lot, a lot of online content, which means that uh, everyone in isolation is doing the same thing. Yeah. So a lot of streaming services have lowered the quality of their videos to keep up with demands. Uh, YouTube, YouTube began five days ago uh, by changing all their videos to standard definition or 480, 480p, which... Mm. Uh, is quite horrendous when you're used to the luxury of high definition and, and the like. So, mm. um, but it, it yeah, it needs to to keep up with the, all the demand. Netflix uh, is in a little bit of a different position. YouTube being free, uh, they can do whatever they want. Uh, but Netflix has priced some of their streaming services in certain countries by the quality of video that they can provide. Mm. Um, they've changed some compression algorithms and stuff for certain. Uh, certain channels and certain um, mm. bandwidths and stuff. So they've said that they've lowered their uh, output by 25%, but uh, you may notice a slight decrease in quality, but still uh, they're saying that they're being able to provide what they've promised their customers regardless. And Disney's in a little bit of a uh, different position. They've only just launched in the UK and the EU, uh, and it's pledged to reduce its streaming bandwidth by 25%, even though they've just started. So that's a pretty mighty blow, especially when they want to be ramping up as much as possible. Yeah, I kind of feel like in uh, sort of um, the regular cycle of things, we'd be kind of uh, up in arms about this. But um, yeah. I, I think if the worst thing that can happen at the moment is we get sort of um, slightly grainy cartoons, yeah. um, that's not too much of a bad thing. Yeah. But uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I do still feel for them. It's kind of hard to kind of get it out there and, um, and you know, actually we're going to make our, our content 25% uh, yeah. less good. And it's, yeah, it's interesting in that lens of uh, the coronavirus, how, uh, yeah, we you see things through a different lens of, oh, well, you know, they are probably really struggling with the demand at the moment rather than they're just trying to make more money. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, I guess talking about one of the uh, one of the other um, big folks out there, um, Apple and their um, Worldwide Developer Conference um, is actually uh, going online uh, this year, which um, makes sense. It's um, in uh, two or three months now, um, but I, I guess they've got a bit of time to sort of pivot there to an online model. Um, Google is actually in a little bit more trouble. Their developer conference, which is coming up soon, um, has been called off entirely, um, and I think. Uh, California is trying to sort of um, really um, do a good job of um, uh, getting to grips with what's going on. Um, yeah, interesting to kind of note um, the the sort of different approaches to it. Um, you would you would imagine if anyone can do something online, it would be someone like Apple, but um, it is uh, still a little bit tricky. Um, uh, People have paid, um, I guess, like a lot of people out there who, who are expecting kind of um, face-to-face services. Um, there is a bit of frustration going on there um, and trying to, I guess, create an online experience for um, hundreds of people um, to a standard that's better than just like watch this stream of this thing um, is challenging. But I, I guess when you've got um, two or three months, you can um, add a little bit of value to it, but it's still hard. that Those kinds of things take a lot of planning. Yeah, and I guess I could probably look to other events. It doesn't need to be any tech events, but just how other people are doing their events online and, and the mm. like. So there's there's a lot of uh, events and people and, and schools even that are in the similar position where they've got to learn to make things online so Mm. um yeah hopefully they've got enough time to peruse what the options that are out there for the best experience there was that great example of the uh school kids in china who were learning at home and then um they realized that they were getting their um notes and lessons delivered by a particular app and if they all voted one star for the app it'd get removed from the store which it did yeah that's that's just genius it was that's fantastic very nice yeah um, uh, another thing uh, we did want to have a bit of a chat about, uh, we actually got this by a uh, sizzle email, which we are going to give a little plug for um, if you're looking for different types of news and supporting uh, supporting the little guys out there. Um, the Parliamentary Budget Office has actually uh, decided to um, value NBN uh, at a paltry $8.7 billion, um, uh, over the past week. Um, there's a bit of news going on um, uh, around this. Um, and uh, I guess... It's, it's tough. I mean, like we're, we're all kind of um, seeing the effects of this now. Um, if we did have uh, sort of a world-class um, uh, 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 internet service and, and the infrastructure behind that, um, uh, uh, it would make some areas of what's going on at the moment a little bit easier to bear. But um, uh, initially, um, they had received around uh, around 29 29.4 29.5 billion in equity um, uh, over a number of years to build the network, um, and they also also got a loan of um, I think it was uh, 19 billion, um, which they'll have to um, refinance. Um, so around uh, around 50 billion investment um, and uh, a, a total valuation of around or fair valuation of around uh, eight, did I say 8.7? I think I did. Yeah, 8.7. Um, bit of a difference there. Um, uh, and not great, I guess, return on the money for well, for investors, well, which is you and I. Yeah, well, we all knew it was uh, in dire straits. It's, it hasn't been going to plan since day one, but seeing these numbers on the page is 
really quite heartbreaking to like imagine yeah buying a car and then it breaks down and you've it's you can't sell it for even yeah. half of what it's worth it's what you got yeah it's it's uh, yeah really quite pathetic have you have you got it yet uh, uh yeah I got, I got it in last year i think i got it mm. and uh, I'm with a local provider there out in um, Northcote. I think they're based. Mm. Uh, it's a bit spotty, but it's it was better than what we had. We had terrible uh, ADSL, uh, yeah. and they kept claiming that we were really close to the node, so we would get really high quality. But uh, yeah, this is I'm getting like maybe five megabyte download oh. uh, on movies and stuff. So mm. it's uh it's it's enough, but it could be better. Mm. Uh, yeah, it is heartbreaking when you see. It. I think we talked about it a, a couple of weeks back, where um, Japan's getting speeds sort of a hundred times mm. um, that of ours, which is nuts. Um, yeah, I just noticed here that um, around a quarter of uh, fiber to the node customers um, on NBN uh, hundred and NBN fifty plans uh, are not getting anywhere close um, the speeds they pay for, um, according to A Triple C's latest report. So. Yeah, I guess um, I guess it's something for um, uh, the next generation to um, to improvise on and kind of learn from the the mistakes of of, um, of this particular project. But um, I guess that's the way it is. Seems almost preferable to just start from scratch and come up with a new plan. Maybe just fibre to the home instead of fibre to the node, just straight off the bat this time. Just putting it out there. Yeah. Um, I do like this next thing though, um, and uh, some people putting their spare computing power to use. What's what's this about? So yeah, the tech company uh, NVIDIA, known for their uh, video game hardware, is calling for gamers to download the Folding at Home app, uh, which will allow spare computing power f- um, from their GPUs or their graphics cards uh, for to support scientific research on coronavirus. Because uh, of these mm. models and uh, on the um, coronavirus uh, proteins and things like that, they mm. uh, they take up quite a lot of processing power. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, this folding at uh, folding at home app, um, yeah, we'll be able to uh, spare whatever spare GPU power you have. You can uh, donate it essentially, uh, and it's you can turn it on and off at will. So you don't need to just be leaving the uh, lights on all the time and running up your power bill but any uh it still helps uh, and yeah yeah you get a warm fuzzy feeling inside for helping the the effort to cure coronavirus yeah much better than running uh running bitcoin in the background or something like yeah, that yeah yeah I, I imagine it's a very similar thing just um gpu processing to yeah mm. crunch numbers yeah it's on uh, uh folding at home.org uh, go in and check it out if you just want to run that for a little while if you're um you know uh walking the dog a lot or uh, reading a lot of books, um, that would be a great thing to do. Melbourne's own Triple R. Warren, uh, behind the desk tonight. Uh, I am really interested to talk about um, uh, food stuff. Uh, well, food is on my mind at the moment, but um, specifically the, the future of food and um, uh, how we're going to make the best of uh, finite resources on a, on a finite planet. Uh, and one of the areas that um, is doing some interesting stuff in there is uh, ag tech or agriculture technology, um, uh, I guess, approaching our challenges in a, a novel way. Uh, we're now joined uh, on the phone by uh, CEO of Cicada Innovations, uh, Sally-Ann Williams, which knows a little bit about this space. Uh, Sally-Ann, thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. It's great to great to have a conversation. Um, how did your journey start on this? Are you um, uh, did you specifically have interest in in sort of food technology and, and ag tech, or did you happen to sort of get into it through um, other parts of your business? Um, what, what's your kind of personal entry into what we're about to talk about? Oh, look, it's a 
Now, this is going to be a little bit weird, um, but I have a personal connection to food and, and agriculture and the fact that I grew up, my parents owned a fruit and veggie shop. And so we had a really strong connection to farming communities and rural communities. And I had to get my hands dirty, not just in the shop, but um, in the farms as well. Um, so personally, I've always been connected. But my, my journey to, to Cicada Innovations and sort of the deep tech work that we do is actually a little bit more meandering through university and through Google and the engineering team to Cicada about eight and a half months ago. Um, and one of the things I love the most about it is that agriculture and food and, you know, really thinking about how do we solve the bit, really big challenges in the world around productivity, of food security, of all of those sorts of things, um, it was really exciting to walk in and find that we had a number of companies already thinking about that in our space. And, you know, those founders, some of them come from the same, similar sort of background to I do, but others have come, you know, from a completely different background. And, and uh, I, I absolutely love it. It's a fantastic place to be. Did you think you were going to end up back in food when you sort of uh, went through through university and looking at technology? Did you, was it kind of always in the back of your mind, like there's there's better ways to do things or there's more interesting ways to do things around food? I absolutely did not think that I would have um, food companies in our space or agricultural companies uh, or that would be something I was doing. In fact, I mm. saw black and blue having worked in the fruit shop over my life, over my dead body. Was I ever going to do anything like that again? <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you, you bag one too many, uh, you, you bag up one too many sort of bags of potatoes and put your hands into a rotten potato bin and uh, that starves you for life. And I've only ever worked in a fruit and vegetable shop understand what I mean by that statement um, but no I didn't but what I've always been passionate about is how do you bring people together to solve big challenges in the world and I think food and agriculture is a really interesting one and we have great strengths in this country in, in food and agriculture um, but we also have really significant challenges around environment and sustainability and land management and you know um, uh, enriched soil and uh, waste management on farms, you know. Um, I think it's something around about 80% of, of uh, all production on farms is often waste. So what can you do um, to both lower the impact on the environment? And, and these are really big, nutty, hard challenges. And I'm just attracted to solving those problems and, and working with founders and farmers and um, a whole community of people that can solve challenges but also build viable businesses so that it's sustainable and that change is sustainable in the long term and I'm lucky I've got a great team of people and uh, my Grow Lab program manager Melissa is just an absolute um, you know she's just a powerhouse in this space and, and food runs through her, her blood as well so it's great. <laughs> So who stands to gain the most from these problems that you're trying to solve? Is it uh, the consumer or is it people providing food for everyone, farmers and, and the like? So the really good thing about big problems is that actually everybody benefits if you solve them. So let me give you an example. Um, if we're thinking about uh, the challenge that farmers, some of the, many farmers are facing right now um, is that they have this huge amount of waste on their farm. So if you are growing sugarcane or tomatoes or any sort of crop, of, you know, a large part of that crop is waste and you have to dispose of it one way or another. Now, burning it is not exactly environmentally friendly. We have had a, a company come through our programs and as a resident to Carter Innovation um, Sustenant who actually uh, can on-farm um, in those places take that waste and uh, with a simple lab that they can set up on site, 
enrich it and turn it into um, fodder or stock feed. So not only does that um, solve the problem from an environmental perspective, but it has the potential to set up a secondary supply chain um, for fodder into the area, and it also could be a secondary income stream for the farmer and, you know, sustenance also wins. So it's a win-win-win-win situation uh, with a company like that. And when you think about food and food security and a lot of the challenges that we're, we're seeing in this space, there isn't really... Um, there's not a downside to solutions like that that really solve some of these challenges. Are there um, sort of particular areas in Australia that uh, are really um, crying out for, um, uh, I guess, better thinking? I, I mean, one of the first ones that comes to mind for me is, is water, and um, mm-hmm. I guess the the Murray Darling system is is quite stressed, and we, we've had, I, I guess, a series of droughts. Uh, are, are businesses in these spaces working on the problems that we all want to have solved, or are they kind of um, sort of gearing towards the stuff that's um, more profitable or more fun or more, you know, more of the wicked problems out there? Yeah, look, uh, they're actually doing both. And when you talk about water, water is a huge challenge and a huge challenge is also a huge opportunity. So we've had a couple of companies um, in our space that are approaching this from different directions. Um, Moisture Planting Technologies is one of our uh, graduates of our GrowLab program and they are looking at how do you optimise the farmers to plant seeds um, in the right conditions in the soil through a moisture planting technology sensor detection. Um, So so, so it's about optimising their crop and their output um, Mm. and getting the best yields, and that's really, really helpful when you're in a low-water environment. Like, it really, really helps you with long-term sustainability. We've had other groups come through. um, Furrow in our last crop of GrowLab graduates they are looking at um, pumps and unique systems on farms to manage that water so efficiently that you don't waste the drop. That's another sort of, you know, solution to this really big challenge. We've got another company, another one of our residents right now, Furosat, who looks at all of the data and the inputs from satellites and sensors and uh, predictions and weather and helps farmers basically have an agronomist in their hand at any given time to, again, manage their farms efficiently so that they can get both the best outcome um, and opportunity, but also minim- minimise and mitigate risk. And so when you when you talk about the challenge of water, there's multiple challenges in that space. There's, of course, there's the policy settings and things like that, but I think we need to think about it holistically and, and mm. think about how do we solve it from every single angle. Mm. And, and all of those opportunities, if we really bring them to market well and we bring them to market with farmers, um, some of those some of those inventions come from farmers directly themselves. Mm. Um, if we if we can bring them to market in a way that actually solves the problem, um, you know there there is a benefit to to producers and also consumers on the other side of it as well. So it's it's one of those really wicked problems, but it's uh, one that also has some really amazing solutions coming to market. Mm. On the technology side of things, what are some of the common sort of um, areas that people are exploring in terms of technology? Is it kind of uh, finding better ways to get um, customers or, or business customers to, to particular pro- uh, products or is it um, like specific technologies like uh, like the um, sort of bacteriophages and so forth? Yeah, so I think it's a bit of both. The things that we see more in, uh, in our space at Sakata Innovations are the deep tech Technologies, so they're things like phage, uh, phage technologies, or they're things that are around um, science and engineering innovation. Um, and some of those things are novel and brand new; they're things that have never been done in the market before. 
But oftentimes it's actually looking at what's already out there in a consumer sense that might be used for um, a commercial or a consumer-driven product that's fun and that people are using in a completely different way, mm. and taking that technology and applying it to agriculture and, and to the industry. So, for example, the use of drones in really precision-based um, agriculture has been something that's been you know, a number of companies that are playing in that space and, and trying to drive that forward. Um, satellite data and imagery and data sets and big data and predictive analysis, um, mm. that's what Pluroset does. And, you know, it's incredibly important to take those sort of skill sets that we've seen applied in a more uh, consumer sort of driven model and in Silicon Valley and in a lot of businesses there and go, hey, we can actually apply these models and, and look at these things and use this technology to enable farmers to not only operate more efficiently but get better yields and also manage their risk. And, and so there's, there's a lot of transfer of technology and I think that's really important to kind of engage in that conversation. I think one of the things that is is really, really great to see and, and what I love the most is when you bring together people with the technology skills, you bring together farmers and you bring together researchers with, you know, another different skill set, um, maybe it's around weather or, or something else. When you put that sort of multidisciplinary team together um, and say, here's a wicked problem, how might we solve it? It's actually in the intersection of those knowledge that that knowledge is where you come up with the solution. Um, not sorry. And like, yeah. how scalable are these solutions? Are you coming up with solutions that strictly benefit larger organisations, or you know, like um, large farms, or is uh, a, is it possible to learn anything just for like your backyard garden or something like that? Is it, um, or you know, for smaller businesses? Yeah, look, so it totally depends on the type of solution that you bring into market. We tend to work with companies that are really focused at the large the large scale. So not for large scale farmers, but, but not your backyard farmer. So, for example, Thorosat is really looking after, you know, farmers that have significant size. But sustenance could be somebody that has, you know, um, a hectare or two. Uh, on their farm size. So so I think it, there's there's a range of those things. We do have some really cool technology coming out, though, that could be applied to somebody that, you know, has a, has a pretty solid backyard farm. Um, we had a company come through uh, our last crop of GrowLab uh, called Leaf, and they basically have uh, a technology that if you put it, uh, it optimises light, it optimises sunlight, and it optimises the right colours and the right spectrum of light to um, increase both your uh, plant's uh, growth rate and growth cycle, but also its, its production. And so it's this really simple thing that you could put into a greenhouse. And um, obviously that's going to have huge benefits in commercial farming. But, you know, if you, if you wanted to invest in something like that in your backyard and you took your gardening pretty seriously like my dad does, if that was available at your local Bunnings, I reckon you'd go pick it up and, and give it a shot and go, how do I... Produce my, you know, increase my tomato yields by 20% or 50%. <laughs> I think a few people are probably, probably trying to figure out how they can uh, get some tomatoes growing or, or stuff right now, for sure. Absolutely. Um, I'm really interested in um, uh, this black thumb idea. I guess for a lot of mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people in Melbourne, the idea of sort of agriculture is sort of, you know, 50Ks removed at least or, or something. But what, tell us a bit about black thumb. Is another company that came through GrowLab recently, and in our last crop, and what they're really doing is they're looking at how do you how do you bring the farm closer to where people are, and so they have this really unique system. It's a, it's a combination with some aquaponics in it, um, but they're really interested in using underutilized commercial commercial spaces 
and transforming those into urban farms, but also using a connected technology um, to, the, to connect those, the, the yields to people around them. So, you know, they, they're thinking about these really um, underutilised spaces of car parks and buildings. And, and, you know, in the future, if we're all in self-driving cars or if we're, you know, we have this optimised transport system and don't need to drive cars around, how could you transform that to be urban farms and, and bring it closer to people? And, you know, Mel, um, the founder there, she's, she's quite a visionary person. She's not just about the technology for her. It's all about how do we actually transform society and how society engages with and thinks about food, particularly in communities where health and well-being um, is, is critical because food and health and well-being uh, are, are uniquely tied together. So how do we bring better food closer to large populations, particularly populations who need access to better quality uh, and, and high nutrition, nutritional food, how can we bring it closer to them and, and make it accessible on that journey? And so they're on, a, they're on a really fascinating journey, thinking not just about the technology, but how do they tr transform consumer behaviour and commercial behaviour and practices to bring, bring those farms into an urban environment. Mm. And uh, you, do you have a, um, a, another cohort coming up if people are out there sort of thinking about um, uh, agricultural technology and doing something in this space? Is it a... Is there a lot of places out there doing what, what you do or is Growlab the place that they should be kind of knocking on the door? Oh, look, I would say definitely come on the knock, door, knock on the door to ask. But that would be a disservice to me to not mention that we've got an amazing network of founders and, and, and groups across Australia that actually do a lot of work in, in ag tech and food tech. And, and, you know, we're really fortunate that we collaborate really closely with the growth centres that work in food and agriculture, uh, with founders to farmers, uh, with um, all of the big uh, uh, conferences and events that happen, um, a lot of people that are involved in that are also in our mentoring pool. So what I would say to anybody out there who wants to get involved in this space, jump onto our web website, cicadainnovations.com, sign up for our newsletter, and we will not only share with you the opportunities that we have coming, but we actually share with you all the opportunities our partners have coming because we really believe that it takes an ecosystem to make a transformation in this space and we're all in it together. So we'd love to connect you with everybody working in this space and take you on a journey with us. Are there particular spaces that you would like to like, hear more from or are there uh, parts of the community that are, are underrepresented um, that you'd like to sort of ask to kind of step up and, and have a think about it? About agriculture and food? Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, I think one of the things I'd love to see a lot more crossover from is there's a lot of movement um, to bring traditional um, knowledge and indige Indigenous owners into this space. And, and mm -hmm. I know um, Jock, from, uh, Jock down at uh, Arana Foundation has been doing some amazing work in this space. Um, Eurovision House is, is in the precinct where we are. They, the guys there do some amazing work in, in, in um, Indigenous knowledge and, you know, uh, foods that maybe we've never been exposed to. And so I'd love to see some crossover and some more expansion of that knowledge because I think there's something that we're missing out on. Mm -hmm. um, and Indigenous Voices and, and our First Nations people are somebody that I'd love to see really visible and I'd love to see them have a platform um, to share that knowledge and to share that wisdom with us. And I'd also love to see, you know, what is that opportunity for, for those communities? I'd also love to see us just break down the silos of thinking about agriculture as 
just agriculture or just food. You know, food is also health. It's also got um, a crossover with our well-being and how we maintain ourselves as society and, you know, reduce the burden on the healthcare system by being healthy. And so I'd love to kind of have some really strong interdisciplinary conversations around this, not just from academics and researchers, but from people who are working in health and and nurses and clinicians and dietitians and going, how do we come together and, and what happens when we, we mix these groups of people together um, to think about some of the challenges we're facing? Is there new things? Are there things that we haven't thought about? Um, good ideas can really come from anywhere and we need to find a way to give a platform to people who don't normally have that, that platform to speak about it so that we can actually sort of uh, shine a light on those ideas and also, you know, then have a discussion about them and try and bring them, bring them to a larger population. Well, it's a, um, a really interesting space and um, we, uh, I don't know, I feel like Melbourne can do this um, particularly well and uh, it's good to see um, our focus shifting from some uh, other areas of um, sort of uh, uh, novel business uh, into this space. So um, good luck and, and thanks for sharing some of your stories with us tonight. Oh, thank you so much. And look, everybody can do it. Just um, if you've got a big problem, just keep working at it and be passionate about it and bring a solution to the world because... Gosh, we need some right now. <laughs> <laughs> we do. It is seven. Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app. Thanks so much for being here. It means a lot. You're listening to Bite Into It on Triple R with Dan and Warren. Um, 20 minutes more of the show, and uh, then Anthony Carew will be swinging by for International Pop Underground. Um, if you're uh, hanging about a little bit more, as a lot of us are, um, there is lots of ways that you can uh, make use of that time. Um, getting away from screens is a good idea, but if you are lured back, um, there are plenty of sweet games uh, to um, have a go at. And um, I thought, what better time to have a bit of a talk about those than uh, while Dan is here in the studio with us. Um, there are a few ones here, Dan, to maybe get us started. I'd be interested in in sort of um, what you what you do think about some of these. Um, do you um, do you hit the sort of Nintendo at all? Yeah, I got yeah. Uh, I got a Switch for Christmas, so I'm mm. playing that at the moment. I just beat uh, Breath of the Wild for the first time, so that's a oh. uh, yeah fantastic game. That's um, uh, like usually with video games, I get because um, I play so many. When something gets as big as Breath of the Wild, I people say oh it's like the best video game ever and i'm always a little bit skeptical because it's from people who mm. don't play as many video games as i do so sure. I, I i just got a different perspective on it <laughs> but this is this actually like is one of the best video games i've ever played just the oh. the amount they've packed into every square meter of the map and um yeah that's a good game to kill some time with if you're looking for it it's, it's fantastic everything about it's great what's the what's the premise um so it's so I could go. I could give you a little bit of history of Zelda. Like th- to be honest, this is the first Zelda game that I've played. Mm. But I'm aware of the uh, design philosophy oh, of, of them. I have. I have actually played this start to finish. So yeah. I, don't, I don't think of it as Breath of the Wild, but now Penny Drops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. Ca- came out maybe two years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah when yeah. the f- Switch first came out, it yep. wasn't long after. Um, yeah, but it's uh, it does really well at experience 
players and people who are new to video games. It does a good job of showing, not telling, which is a fantastic design philosophy for mm. almost anything, particularly in video games. Just like strong hints. Like, yeah, you know. but without it doesn't just hit you with walls of text, which is a problem that a lot of the other Zelda games have had uh, recently. Um, so like Twilight Princess and, and the like uh, have... Um, had a lot of issues with tutorializing people, getting them familiar with the game mechanics just by hitting them with walls of text. But Breath of the Wild teaches you by showing you how to do it and giving you time to play with certain mechanics. So it does a real, really good job of educating people who are, pick, who are just picking it up for the first time, whether they've got a lot of experience with video games or they don't. So it's uh, that's, that's I think, the main selling point of it. And anyone can play this game and, and really enjoy it. I enjoy the horse riding quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, and you can yeah you tame your own horse. It's got like all these little details that it has in the game. Um, yeah, just serve to make it like fantastic. Like the and it's hard to see uh, the 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 seams of the game. So it all it is, it's all pretty seamless and works really well. So yeah, I've I've got a lot to say about Breath of the Wild. It's um it's quite therapeutic as well. Like you can just kind of like drift through from kind of like action yeah. scene to action scene, and you'll like stop and go, oh, that's a really nice view, and you watch the sun come up, and yeah. stuff like that. There's I got a, a lot of that stuff. I got a friend who plays it just for the photo mode, so they'll climb the highest peak and take a photo of the sun rising. Or there's a couple of dragons in the game that you can spot at certain times of the day, so they'll try and get the best photo of the dragon. And um, yeah, it's like all these, um, like the story although important isn't possibly the most important aspect of the game it's the mm. the adventure in the game that you're able to go and, and your the, your own stories that you can make in the game i mm. think uh fantastic but yeah there's been a lot said about breath in the wild already i'm just uh treading off ground yeah um so so the reason i did ask about nintendo uh, luigi's mansion 3 um have you ever have you had a go at that i uh, i kind of glossed across it but um i haven't picked it up yet no i haven't uh played Luigi, luigi's mansion 3 i've played uh, I think it was number two, uh, and it's it's a fun game, but it's it's not really uh, something that I enjoyed so much that I need to rush out and get number three. Mm. And I think uh, I'm not sure how much they've innovated since the last game. It seems like the the mechanics and the 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 game are kind of it's just more of the same. More I feel like same. so. If you did love Luigi's Mansion one and two, well, I got good news for you. Luigi's Mansion three is serving up a nice hot plate of that again. The same. Yeah. Um, so, what have you been playing? I mean, there's a few ones here in this. Just this piece that we're looking at with um, like Mario Odyssey is obviously you know uh, probably the other big title or the first big title for Switch. But yeah. Well, um, what else have you been playing? Um, I got Darkest Dungeon on mm. Switch, which is an indie game developed by Red Hook Studios, mm. uh, and it's it's a, it's, it's kind of it made its own genre a little bit. Like it's a dungeon crawler, but um, kind of got JRPG mechanics where it's turn based and you create a team. But it's got a very uh, Lovecraftian horror theme. Um, oh, yeah, nice. Uh, where a, an elder has called you back to the estate to help clear the estate of all the eldritch troubles that, uh, and you go to the Warrens, the Cove, and then finally into the darkest dungeon where they were digging to the. I assume the center of the earth and they uncovered something ancient and dark. And um, it's a game that uh, popularized stress mechanics. So hmm. you're a commander who uh, puts together a team and they have a stress meter. And after a certain time, they'll either more than likely uh, have an affliction or I can't remember what the positive aspect was, but an affliction is like uh, sadistic or torturous or um, sadomasochistic. So, 
uh, before they take their turn, they cut themselves and do damage to themselves. But their their character is like, yeah. Um, uh, and then you have to manage your roster by deciding whether you want to keep that person on after the turmoil you've just put them through uh, or you can let them go or you can sacrifice them in a uh, in another way. The, uh, the, eventually, they'll have a heart attack if you push them too far and uh, die. So it's a kind of... It's the the art style is quite like stylized. I wouldn't say cartoony, but um, very uh, suitable for the gothic cos- cosmic horror theme. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting moral dilemma, which I feel like games often get it to, uh, simplify it by just making it binary. Will you make the good decision or the bad decision? This one's kind of a gray area. Will you use and abuse your roster of heroes just to achieve your goals, or will you try to? Um, save their lives and uh, save every uh, save every person you can. Mm. And quick hint: the developers do not want you to save everyone. They want you to make the tough choices. So, um, yeah, th- I mean that's that's probably the most interesting aspect about it is the the moral grey area of uh, pushing people to their limits and then cutting them off completely. Interesting. Mm. I've been uh, I've been playing some uh, just. Uh, casual games, just easy kind of platformy type stuff. Yep. Um, I just came across this on Twitter, um, uh, Alto's Odyssey. Um, there's Alto's Adventure and Alto's Odyssey, um, and somebody noted out that uh, they were um, free in the App Store um, for people practicing social distancing or self-isolation um, uh, over the past little while. Um this is great. It kind of um, I, I I really like desert games. I don't know why, but um, just games out the desert. The colors and and textures are really interesting. And um, this one, um, uh, Alto's Odyssey, basically just follows a person kind of um, surfing through um, the sand. It's kind of um, left to right. Think it as like um, small, small pink and yellow. Sonic the Hedgehog, yeah, <laughs> is is kind of the vibe with with maybe um, less twirls um, and kind of like obscene kind of roller coaster action. Um, it's it was interesting at first. It was a little bit frustrating to kind of get the mechanics down pat, but um, over time, it actually resets you to the start of the level as well. Every time you die, which is weird, okay. r- rather than going back to like um, uh, a milestone before the the death. So um, it's like a it's a roguelike then every. Every game, uh, mm. your character dies essentially, and then yeah. you lose all your progress. Is that the yeah, yeah. idea? Yeah, that yeah. That's yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of roguelike games. Uh, the it's almost like um, playing an instrument with roguelike games sometimes because you get this rhythm of you you play until you die, and then yeah. you reset the game, and you got to start again, and, and you figure out it's like learning a tough chord. Or, yeah, you know, yeah, a tough, yeah, um, absolutely, yeah. Um, so I would uh, I recommend that one. I'll yeah. go Odyssey. Um, I've also been playing a little bit of Two Dots, which I'm unsure about, but um, it's kind of um, pretty highly rated and um, it's kind of nice if you like that Tetrisy kind of um, uh, join the dots type thing. Um, I'm also trying to remember. Do you remember the one that Tim Shield put out a few years ago, um, where it had the rotating kind of? They actually had almost like two dots, and you had to twist it. Yeah, I know. I know the one. I've seen a, a guy did a documentary on it. Um, I, can't, I can't remember, but it's yeah, very kind of abstract it. puzzle 
kind of game. Yeah, that that one's quite actually. It's kind of um, to be honest, it's kind of stressful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's not a good time for that. Yeah, it's, it's very nice though. Um, but the other one I quite uh, enjoy uh, at the moment because um, you can't really sort of go rock climbing anymore because that's very handsy. Yeah, um, is uh, climbing flail which is a, a great little game um, where you kind of have to flick a, a climber up the wall and uh, the, the harder the climbs get and the rougher the holds, um, things like arms start coming off and legs start coming off. Yeah, so you've right. only got like one point of contact <laughs> um, and there's all these uh, funky little weird things. Um, I'll, I'll tweet that out. It's actually great. It's very, um, it's very uh, low intensity and um, you know, pretty easy to pick up. Are there any other kind of like... Um, Sort of like a couple more games that you would suggest to people. Well, um, the, uh, the new Call of Duty has released a new mode called Warzone, which is mm. in the ever popular battle royale mode. So you dropped into a map with uh, either two friends or two randoms, and mm. then you've got to uh, upgrade your gear and fight to survive until you're the last team uh, to survive. Mm. So that's free at the moment. So you don't, uh, you just need a PC. Or I'm not too sure about PlayStation or Xbox, mm. um, but you can download that through the Blizzard launcher because of Activ- Activision Blizzard. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I've downloaded that and just given it a go. I didn't actually purchase the Modern Warfare, uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare game. Nice. So you can just play the the Warzone mode, which uh, I'm having a bit of fun with, uh, just to kill some time. And mm. but my my computer though, it's probably about four years old and it's starting to show its age with this game in particular. I'm going to have to turn down the <laughs> the settings I think because uh, starting to overheat and be a bit janky. So. Uh, it's a good wake-up call to maybe upgrade my PC a little bit. Good time to do it. Yeah. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. Triple R, just a few minutes left in the show, uh, Dan and Warren, uh, with you. Um, just a couple of little uh, snippets. Um, I, this one's really for um, uh, Dan Salmon. Dan, if you're out there listening, um, he does like some um, uh, Musk news. Um uh, Tesla has been asked to halt uh, Fremont production of their car. So um, they were working really hard to get the Model Y um, out and uh, um, uh, the county sheriff deemed it, deemed it not actually essential business. Um, so <laughs> sl- slightly different rules over there. Uh, obviously, every country and state is making up its own mind about um, what is and isn't uh, happening at the moment. Um, so, um, yeah, um, Dan, that one's for you, buddy. Um, also... Um, if you want to uh, pick up some um, skills uh, right now, if you're kind of um, twiddling your thumbs a little bit and looking at uh, interesting things to do, um, there's a bunch of uh, courses that are available and this one caught my eye. If you're looking at doing uh, data science, there's um, some really strong courses out there and there's a bundle going at the moment for uh, 30 bucks, uh, which seems pretty good. Um, so yeah, it's actually uh, it's a fraction of what you would usually pay for this. Um, I find data science one of those really interesting things in that um, there's a lot of ways to kind of store it, stash it, um, play with it with kind of, you know, weird sort of data visualization tools. But I think um, uh, people in Melbourne or Australia um, to um, get a little bit stronger in this place uh, would be um, would be good. It's actually put out by uh, MATLAB, which is the machine learning for data science. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, they've got a few things here which I'll, I'll hand out. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah. That uh, that Elon Musk not essential services thing. Uh, also in the gaming world, uh, GameStop in the US, they were trying to pull the same thing. Uh, oh, right. Trying to say that they were an essential service, which I 
I can see their argument, but I don't think uh, the US government didn't. They finally shut them down, for, which you know makes sense. Most uh, you can get your video games online these days, so it's not uh, it's not essential that they have people exposed to people getting sick. So no, it's uh, true. Yeah, so uh, yeah, the, who's who's essential and who's not? Uh, if Scott Morrison is to be understood, which he is not, because he made complete gibberish and no sense last night. So yeah. <laughs> Uh, thank you very much to our guest, uh, Sally Ann of uh, Cicada Innovations. Um, thanks for tuning in tonight. Um, I hope you're having a, a good night. And um, uh, yeah, make yourself a cup of tea, uh, do whatever feels good. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or bite into its Twitter or Facebook accounts.